world is your favorite Ethiopian Sue Solo. This is the kid Ferrari Simmons. Hey, yo, what up, podcasters? It's the one and only OCT from the Barlow Alert Show. That's right, it's all produced by me. And we, we own From the latest in entertainment news, baller mail, comment creeping, celebrity guest hosts, and more. We got nothing but big vibes on the Baller Alert Show podcast. Big vibes with me, Ferrari Simmons. Me, Sue Solo. And me, OCT. Check us out on the Baller Alert Show podcast today. Available on the iHeartRadio app. On Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcast. Open your hearts and loosen your butts. It's time for a couple's therapy. Yeah, this podcast is Andy and Naomi's, where they can both laugh and hang with all their homies, talking excellent vacationing with brunches and cuddling, to messy situations, shits and conscious and coupling, from Netflix hookups to single them with some Hulu, text sex, regrets, so feeling on your new jubu. They gon' talk about it, ah, yeah, you are invited, ah, needing therapy, I guarantee, baby, we got it. It's up, up, up. Baby, whose dulcet tones were that at the beginning? That was the voice of Mr. Stephen Canals, the creator, executive producer, lifeblood behind FX's Pose, baby. Live, work, welcome to Couples Therapy. My name is Andy. I am Naomi. And and we are a real-life couple, a real-life couple of comedians. And on this show, we take the best sets from our live show where we have comics who are close to sets together about their relationship and bring them to you. Sometimes, though, like today, we have guests here in the studio. Answering your relationship questions, okay? You guys are wonderful. You call in, and if you haven't called in and want to, honey, hit us up. And we will sit here with our guest, and we will handle your scandal so you don't end up an American vandal. Sorry, had to do it. Canceled after two seasons. You don't want that to happen to your life. You don't want to be canceled. You don't want to be hashtag canceled, do you? I should say, we are recording this intro after we've already talked to Steven. And so we are filled with life. We are energetic. We are jazzed. I like literally can't. He's like so warm, so nice, so thoughtful. You will hear it all. Um, and it just, I mean, it really moved me. It really changed the game for me. I'm trying to be him when I grow up. <laughs> Be the Stephen Canals you want to see in your life. Yes. Is that right? <laughs> Naomi, what's the call in line, by the way? If someone wants to call and leave a voice message asking an advice question. They can hit us up at 323-524-7839, baby. Fantastic. And you can, of course, find that information at CouplesTherapyPod.com. You know what else you can do at CouplesTherapyPod.com? You can get tickets to our next live show, which is on July 6th at the Virgil here in Los Angeles. Naomi, who are some of our wonderful guests that are going to be on that show? We got Janet Varney from Stand Against Evil and You're the Worst performing with Brandon Reynolds. We got Charlotte Lauriston, who wrote for People of Earth and wrote for Kimmy Schmidt coming through. It's going to be a cavalcade of stars. It's going to be wonderful. Also, we're going to be in New York again Yes, August 1st, I believe. Yes, we're doing two shows, early show, late show, both at Union Hall in New York. We putting that lineup together, but you know it's gonna be good. So don't even don't even slow down. Yeah, do what uh, you gotta do. One final piece of housekeeping before we get to the show, Naomi. You and I have a Patreon for this show. Uh, you know, a lot of people have said what they like a lot is you and me just kikiing, <laughs> as it's called. Uh, and so, for the low price of five dollars, we give you two extra episodes a month of just you and me. 
talking about the timely things that are going on in our lives. Emotional issues. Showbiz issues. (laughs) It's fun. It's funky fresh. It's honest. It's lovers doing what lovers do. Talking too much. (laughs) So think about that if you want in, baby. Just $5. So I think that's about it. That's all you need to know, you guys. Like, honestly, you can hear that we are lifted up. We are excited. Steven came to us before he went into work to talk to us. I've never felt more touched by an angel. You guys, loosen your butt for Stephen Canals. Roll it. Okay, Stephen, you know Andy and I are freaking the fuck out right now. <laughs> uh, we are losing it. I was up like a schoolgirl. I don't know if you remember uh, when we first met. Uh, I was literally rendered speechless. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember when we met. That's the uh, the effect you had on me. I so, that. I am, uh, I, uh, I, I, I did some vocal warm-ups earlier. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I practice in front of a mirror, so I am present. I am here. I am talking. Right. Naomi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. We are fans. Obviously. Uh, can I tell you, I always feel like I'm such a disappointment when I meet people. Like, that was the thought I was having when you and I met. So we have a mutual friend in Cena Grace. Who Cena Grace. Created Artist. The, the Brilliant. Iceman series over at Marvel. Um, and is a great writer and illustrator. And when we met, I just, I think at that point I was still working through receiving that energy. I think it's mm-hmm. really weird to be in a place where people are like, I'm such a big fan of the work or, you know, I, I really enjoy what you do. And it's, you know, I think as someone who works in the background, you know, as, as a storyteller, yeah. as a producer, I'm still navigating accepting like receiving that energy and yeah. then hopefully giving you something back so that you don't walk away like well that guy sucks <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think would have like because like what what do you want someone to co- come out of an interaction with you with or thinking because when someone's talking to me like i went to a couple of those wga mixers mm-hmm. and i was just like please just please don't think i'm an idiot or just please <laughs> really it was like hire me for some reason for some reason i had this like this weird dream. I'm like, they're going to have a conversation with me. And then they're going to be like, <laughs> hired. And I'm like, what a dumb, weird fantasy for, for me <laughs> to have. That didn't happen. That's not um, how that works. Yeah, I don't know. I think like at 38, you know, soon to be 39, I just, I'm at a point now where I feel pretty confident in who I am. And so I don't have that anxiety anymore about, I wonder what this person thinks about me wow i think it's more so yeah you're free truly (laughs) um i think for me the what it is when it comes to receiving energy and i think all of it i'm I'm talking about specifically around the work i do Mm -hmm. right and and maybe pose more specifically um is that most individuals i would say like 95 percent of the time are also sharing with mm. me you know like yeah they're giving some part of themselves mm-hmm. so it's not just oh i really enjoy what you do but it's also and this is how it's touched me right and so for me i think what i always want to have a person walk away with is a sense that i validated their sharing right it's a lot right. of responsibility it can be i mean there are i, I will <laughs> so very recently we had a press day um and this was in new york uh, and we had all these, you know, individuals come in and talk to us. And so we had these round tables. And the very first table that I sat at, there were six, like six journalists. The second question that I was asked was, what does it mean to be at the center of creating a show that means so much to so many people? 
I had a full-on meltdown. <laughs> and I don't mean like, uh, you know, like I'm feeling a little emotional. Yeah. I mean full-on like the tears, like I like had to take a beat and pause yeah. and turn away. And I think they were all a little uncomfortable. And I was really embarrassed because I'm not a crier. And, that's, and it just really... It was very unexpected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> uh, and I could not stop it. And it was full on ugly. And, you know, but I, it's just, it's tough because it's like you're constantly receiving that energy of, of people wanting to say, you know, it, it inspired me to transition. It inspired me to come out. It inspired me not to hurt myself. Mm-hmm. You know, and so mm-hmm. when you hear those stories, yeah. it's like you just, you keep on taking it in. And so right. it has to at some point be Come a release, out somewhere. Yeah, you know? definitely. I mean, but what you said too, though, about the pressure of that, because one of the things I wanted to ask is like, what is it, you know, because there's some, it was especially, I feel like we, you and I talked about this watching it in episode six. You know, you got Billy Porter singing, you got MJ singing. Episode one, you got Damon dancing. It's like this idea, like, it's, for me, it's black excellence on parade. But with that also comes that pressure. This idea that like when you are brown and you're trying to do this creative work, I would say you got to be a quadruple threat. Sing, dance, act, make white people comfortable. <laughs> and those are the more things you have to do at all times. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's a, it's, it's a lot to do. Um, and, you know, I wonder, you know, in the process of creating, because I think I deal with this a lot, you know, writing stuff. And so do you, Andy, this, you know, like, that feeling of like I want to get it right or I want it to be good, but then when you have on top of that, I gotta represent the people, and I may only get two chances at this, so it's got to be the thing or one chance. or well, right, right, you know, it's like how how do you, I guess how do you deal with that, especially I guess more so too in the process of you know writing that first season before you knew you were gonna be changing lives, you know what I mean? Hmm interesting you know it's funny what you just said I, I immediately heard rupaul in my head saying good luck and don't fuck it up <laughs> yeah you know? yep. like that's what i hear i you know yeah. it's and it's so true um i don't know i think i'm still navigating that space now you know the truth is that it you know it, it's an immense responsibility mm-hmm. now having a second season under well not under but we're still in the midst of, of shooting it but um I definitely feel less of that pressure. Okay. You know, when we were working on the first season, I was like, whoop, well, it's going to work or it isn't. (laughs) You know, like, good luck. And and there was a lot of anxiety because if it didn't work, I knew that there were all these black and brown and queer and trans people who were standing right beside me, Mm -hmm. waiting to break in, um, who now would potentially not have an opportunity to tell their story. Yeah. And so I think now on the heels of the success of the show, it feels like, well, hopefully more of those opportunities will emerge and those doors will open. That remains to be seen. Yeah. You know, because the reality is I don't see a plethora of, of queer or trans stories being told. Yeah. Um, you know, and progress is slow, but I'm hopeful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is such a do you guys both of you do you feel like I was thinking like Chuck Lorre doesn't have to worry about <laughs> representing anyone chuck like it's like what is it that's the two and a half men yeah yeah, that, right? yeah yeah right there's nothing there's no pressure there there's no like i was i was thinking because i was looking through and i was trying to find like biographical data about you last night and i was mm. just going through like interview after interview and page after page on google and it's all just questions asking you about the pressure of this and <laughs> nothing about you in the, in the sense that you almost become like an avatar mm. and you do you 
I mean, this is like a deep question, so maybe we're jumping in. Good morning. (laughs) This is early in the morning. I was saying before, Naomi and I have been suffering from insomnia for forever. So we are just barely holding it together with twine. Emotional twine? Anyway, the point is, um, do you, is there a sense of um, this becoming your identity or losing your sense of self within, I said this was a little too deep maybe, within having to become this avatar? And the same thing to you, Naomi, as uh, a black woman working in this industry. But I don't get, I mean, like kind of what you were saying, though, up top, Stephen, the way, as you said, people come to you and you have to take it, you know, you have to take it in and like, you know, let them have their moment without really coming back with much, you know, acceptance. Acceptance is the answer. (laughs) And so like, but, you know, to do that over and over. Yeah. I mean, emotional sponge. I think to, to address the question you posed. That is part of the, this might be too big of a word, but I think that's part of the plight of being part of a marginalized community. I mm-hmm. think if you're a woman, if you're a black woman, if you're a queer black woman, if you're you know trans, if you're, you know, I, I just think if you come from, if you're one of those, part of one of those communities, whether you're a woman, LGBTQ, um, or a person of color, that you always sort of shoulder the responsibility and the weight Mm-hmm. of being part of that community, right? And to go back to your question around Chuck Lorre, it's like, well, that's part of the privilege, I think, of you know existing as straight, cis, white, male, you know, is that, yeah, you don't have to think about those things. Um, so is there a responsibility and is it exhausting? Sometimes, but I don't feel like I have the right to be tired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, as I've I've said this a few times, Publicly, it's like, you know, I think about my family, I think about the lineage, and I think more specifically about my grandparents and the hundreds of miles that they had to walk in, you know, threadbare shoes and sometimes, you know, bloody feet. And, you know, I just don't feel like I have the ability to sit back and say I'm tired, Mm -hmm. you know? And if my entire career is built on only telling stories about marginalized people, then that's okay. Because historically our stories haven't been told and there are so many stories to tell yeah yeah you know so it's like well let's just tell all those stories yeah all of them so like it's, it's more like a facet of your identity as opposed to something that's like um i'm imagining uh a dark phoenix i'm like coming in <laughs> and taking over your identity do you know what i mean like or a shadow king i can't there's no psylocke let's go with a good yeah. version of it <laughs> it is definitely a part of me yeah it's not all of who i am and the reality is that like i am a so i don't consider myself a writer i i would say i'm a storyteller um and writing is just one part um of of being a storyteller mm-hmm. right and at some point in the future maybe being a storyteller will manifest in another way outside of screenwriting mm-hmm. um but all that to say that i don't necessarily define myself by the work that i do wow wow again you seem very free Stephen. all right <laughs> you're like knowing who you are and not needing to be validated your work isn't defining you okay tell me about how this happened <laughs> you grew up in the bronx uh-huh. <laughs> okay i grew up in harlem i need to know how you got free i need to know you guys grew tell up me, like a me, mile from each other they're holding hands now <laughs> less than a mile yeah. from each other no i'll be mean, a little farther Wait, depends where on where in the bronx i was on 138th okay so, so my 
father lived on 123rd in Amsterdam. Okay. And then my mother was on the, she was in the projects up on, I want to say like 117th maybe. Mm-hmm. Somewhere. But, yeah. you know, I spent some time in Harlem as well before moving to the Bronx. Yeah. That's where it all began, you know? Mm-hmm. That's where we're all having a renaissance of some kind. Sure okay? <laughs> That's what is going on there. Um, but the process, you know, you, growing up and then you went to film school out here in L.A., mm-hmm. right? And, like, that was, was it, was the decision to go to film school at all, like, fraught? Like, what am I doing? Is this a, you know, because it's expensive. And, like, the business is a crapshoot. Well, the same thing for you, Naomi. You went to Wesleyan to yeah. study film. yeah. And I, but like that was undergrad. But the idea of like doing it the next step, I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Who? What am I saying? You right. know? No, I mean, all of those questions and that anxiety was there. Yeah. Because here's the truth: is so I studied cinema as an undergrad. Uh, my my experience at Binghamton University was wasn't the typical because the program was rooted in experimental film experimental video is very like avant-garde art house cinema um which isn't the traditional you know three-act structure it isn't you know beginnings middles and ends and so it's taping pieces of moth to a film (laughs) exactly it's scratching the film it's burying the film in dirt and then seeing what emerges on screen and so (laughs) it was you know and i'm grateful to have had that experience but it certainly wasn't the typical and so when i graduated as from my undergrad experience I had no idea what I wanted to do because I always imagined I would be the next Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I fell into a career in higher education. So I went back oh. to school for a master's in student affairs. And I was a college administrator for oh. the better part of a decade before I ever then decided to move to L.A. in 2012 and okay. pursue a career. Yes. So I had that gap. Yeah. And so I think to answer your question, I spent, you know, nine years, seven of those years professionally in an office, working with students, telling them how to live their best life, mm-hmm. you know, working with college seniors, um, aiding them in transitioning out of the institution and into the, you know, quote, real world. And, and at a certain point, it just dawned on me, like, you are not living your best life. <laughs> um, you are, you know, giving advice to these young people and you aren't taking the advice yourself. Like, I just, I felt like yeah. a fraud is yeah, really yeah. what it comes down to. And I realized, like, you have to make a change. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't going to work. This isn't sustainable. This isn't life. Yeah. Um, and that really was the the impetus, or the catalyst, rather, to have me move to L.A. and pursue a career. And I knew it was a crapshoot. Um, but the reality is, like, you kind of sometimes just have to roll the dice. Yes. You know? Like, you have to <laughs> sort of take a chance on yourself. And I knew that I was going to have an immense amount of regret and that's always been my biggest fear. Since okay. I was a teenager, regret has always been my biggest fear. And I thought, I know that I'm going to look at myself in the mirror. Because this all happened right around 30. Mm-hmm. Um, Steven, you're, it's, it's, it's like your heart is speaking to my heart. <laughs> oh, yeah, cause, well, yeah. Andy left academia to do this. Oh, he yeah. was, yeah. Gonna... I was an uh, uh, adjunct philosophy professor oh, at, wow. at Temple and, in Philadelphia. And uh, But this is the thing I was thinking of as you were talking, which is like, you were present. You knew this stuff. I had to fight back against the institution and get kicked out in order to pursue my dreams, which is what I wanted to be doing. Mm-hmm. 
white like men be having fun <laughs> here just getting kicked out a little repressed boy from Pennsylvania <laughs> who didn't get his emotions until he went to therapy started dating Naomi who <laughs> was free with her emotions you're welcome I'm doing the Lord's work <laughs> Yes, but mm -hmm. and now we see you and we affirm you. (laughs) You are seen, you are affirmed. But right, you at least had some presence of mind to be like, I have to. But it was a long journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really grateful, particularly to the students. I learned as much from them, I think, as they learned from me. You know, working in in student affairs, which is obviously very different different from academic affairs, which is the space you came from. you know, you're spending a lot of time mentoring and counseling mm. and, you know, sort of serving as like a pseudo parent in a lot of mm. ways to these students while they're in the institution and, and you know, while they're under your care. Um, but, I mean, that process of working with them, I just, I learned so much about self, you mm. know, and I realized that, um, you know, we only really get one life. Yeah. You know, and even if you believe in reincarnation, it's like, you know, you're not going to remember all those yeah. past lives. Right. And so you might as well try to do the best job you can with the one that you've been given now. Yeah. Yeah. How's that striking, Amy? Look, it's one day at a goddamn time. I am trying. <laughs> okay. Because I know, I just find myself, I get so um, well, choked how, up. How old are you? I'm 35. And you're 40. Okay. Yeah. But I still get, I mean, I'm Ooh, in, I said that out loud. I know in you said it and you said, ah, you said ah. it on mic. You said it on mic and I'm proud of you. Now they're holding hands. This is good. <laughs> we all need the support this morning. It's like, let's just. Let's just literally like, oh, Oprah hands. We're doing it. We're all holding hands. We're vibrating. We're vibrating. We're But we're in that point though. This is the thing. Yeah. Like we're at that point where we're putting it all together. I've always believed really strongly that 20s are that time where you're allowed to make mistakes right Mm -hmm. you can fuck up as much as you want and most people are going to make allowances for it yes and you need to let yourself off the hook you know Mm -hmm. and make Mm -hmm. allowances as well um and then your 30s is really when you start to build you know to me i think of the 30s as being the decade when you're an architect Mm -hmm. so you're putting all the pieces together i don't feel like you really start living until you're 40 Personally. Well then, okay. Andy's about to pop off. I <laughs> do have some time to get it together. Maybe throw, throw keto into the mix for me. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, hon, I used a weird voice. Naomi, in the car, she grabbed me. She shook <laughs> me. She pushed me up against the window of the car. She's like, if you're weird in front of Steven, <laughs> so help me. I did say, um, if you embarrass me, so help me God. That was the exact quote. Um, if you embarrass me, so help Be me as God. weird as you need to be. <laughs> um... So just can you give me like, oh, God. Okay, season two is coming. It's coming June 11th, and it's great. Already got my outfit planned for when I watch it at home. Can I say Uh, something? Uh, I don't know if this is embarrassing for you, but last night I heard (laughs) from the, from, uh, she, Naomi was in the bedroom, and I heard over and over again, uh, I want to dance with somebody. Mm. Uh, (laughs) I want to, yeah, is that the one you used to talk? Okay, look. Over and over when again, I and then need, I found out, sorry, you go on it. When I need to pump myself up or redirect my energy, I watch the Damon dancing scene. There is, because there's so much going on, there is this literally like, when you're thrown in, I don't know what to do. Then coming in and stepping in, and then the true utter joy of his dancing. And I'm like, that's it. 
that's what this is. Like, I literally need to like. So I watched it mm-hmm. three times in a row. Yes, last night. I love it. But that's like that's like what that is for me. It's like a like the first couple times, too many tears. Can't do that before you go on stage. But now that I'm like, okay, I know this, and this is like, let it wash over me. Let the joy wash over mm-hmm. me. That is, um, yeah, that's just part of my journey now. Part of my creative journey is letting it wash over me. This is gonna sound weird because I wrote it, but <laughs> I think the power in that sequence is that. We have all been Damon at some point, right? Like all of us have had that moment where we want something really badly mm-hmm. and we're fighting for it. And so I think part of the reason why there's such a catharsis when he finds out, when he tells Blanca that he got in, mm-hmm. is that we've all either had that moment or been craving that moment, right? The moment yeah. of just knowing, like, oh, you finally got it. It is yours. Yeah. And in addition to all of that, you know, the power of having someone fight for you you know Blanca in the scene before when she goes to talk to Helena she says to her like you need to let this boy in yeah um and then the power of of Helena sort of embracing Uh this young boy who was discarded by his mom and just the the beauty that image of seeing this you know black woman embrace this young black boy yeah yeah. And how rare it is for us to see those images on television well especially because you know I thought about it too and rewatching that you know that moment where I'm like in other worlds, it would have been all white people watching him dance. You know what I mean? And what it is to just have one black person in the room. One other brown person can literally change the tenor of an entire experience. You know, on the other side of it, you know, as the person who has to, like, perform or step up. And then also just, you know, and again, right, like, getting that hug. He wouldn't have gotten that from anybody else. You know what I mean? And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, like, that's it. It's also for me, like, it is what it is to get out of your own way. That's what it was, too. You know, he, like, starts to do some dancing. He's like, no, that's not it. You know what I mean? And just like, yeah. what it is to get out of your way, which is honestly what I need to be doing right now. And if you're getting <laughs> out of my own way. <laughs> oh, my God. Honestly, this feels, I'm feeling free and clear. Clean and clear and under control. We're going to go take a break, and we'll come back, and Stephen will help us handle your own personal scandal in a minute. Hey, guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host The Bobby Bones Show, and I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives. We tell our stories. We try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can, and we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music, too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on Big 104.7 in Pittsburgh or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app. And we're back from that minute. <laughs> Wait, can I ask a quick, before we get into some advice stuff, yeah. can I ask a quick question? Mm-hmm. So you grew up in, you, you you started, you were born in Harlem or your family's from Harlem, you grew up in the Bronx. I was just trying to figure out because you said you spent a lot of time in Harlem yeah. before. So the so my mom was born in Puerto Rico, um, and then moved to Harlem when she was she was a little girl. Um, dad was born in New York or Jersey, I think. Um, but both my parents were raised in Harlem. My parents were living in the Bronx when I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, this is gonna, it's gonna <laughs> I'm trying to not make the story complicated, but um, I was born at the Women's Maternity Center which is in Manhattan. So -hmm. technically I was born in Manhattan, but my parents were living in the Bronx at the time. We lived in the Bronx for I think maybe the first two years of my life. Then we moved in with my grandmother in the projects in Harlem, and we were there for a little while, I think maybe like a year and a half or so. And then we moved back to the Bronx when I was like 
four going on five. And that's where I remained through my teen years. That's it. I just want to got it. <laughs> you got it. Because again, I couldn't look. I was I was doing Google and I was Googling it. <laughs> Shit, I sound like fucking Trump. <laughs> Did you? Jesus Christ. Do you have siblings? I do. I have one sister, and mm-hmm. she's ten and a half years younger than I am. Oh, okay. So are you guys like closer now that you're both adults? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're very close. Does she is she back on the East Coast? She is. Okay. Yeah, she's in New York, and she's pursuing music. That's really what she wants to do. That's her her passion. Ooh. So we're creative family. Oh my god, I love that power family. Um, are you? Do you like LA? Uh, I just need to know because you're from the East Coast, like me, and uh-huh. we've been here two years, so it's obviously taking some time. But um, I'm still not feeling it. It's a controversial question. <laughs> well, here's the thing I would say though, right? Because everyone's it becomes such a it's like, don't you dare insult LA. It's like no, 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 LA's fine. It's not like a fundamental problem with LA as yeah. much as it's not working for me right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I will stand in that truth and it doesn't have to negate anyone else's positive experience. That's it. I like LA. I don't love LA. Um it and then it vacillates back and forth. Like every now and then I'll have these moments. Like I was in New York for a little while earlier well like it's not early in the month, they were in June. So in May. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and when I flew back to LA, I got off the plane and I was like, oh, LA. Oh. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but I was like, oh, that's surprising. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like nice to be back. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it, it depends on the day. Yeah. You know, yeah. Today is not a day I'm loving LA, but it's also like really gray. And yeah, uh, that's yeah. why I'm loving it. I'm really? like, finally. I can walk outside. I'm a pale Jew. Melanoma. <laughs> if you, if I, if uh, like, if there's a sunbeam that comes into our house, I get melanoma. So I have to like, like a vampire. I have to like. Ah. Oh yeah. Maybe I shouldn't. I shouldn't use the word. I'm Jewish, and then use uh, <laughs> the metaphor of a vampire in the same. Possibly. Hit. Possibly. Not do that. Could be problematic. Um, also, might want to invest in some SPF 50. Thank you. Okay, I literally yell at this bitch every time we out. I said, if you die on me over some avoidable <laughs> shit, I'll kill you myself. I can so- Take his ass to Sephora. Okay, we literally were at, like, especially because he's, like, so particular about what the sunscreen is. Because I get it. Because, like, also, when you have brown skin, too, some, some sunscreen will, like, give you, like, an ashen, mm-hmm, you know, cover. So, mm-hmm. like, get something with a good moisture. But then he's like, I don't want to be too shiny. And it's like, honey- this ain't a fashion show. I need you to keep all your skin. Okay? Naomi, you get ashy. I get flaky. We got this Neutrogena. Uh, <laughs> we got this Neutrogena uh, uh, sun, sunscreen. sunscreen. Yeah. I put it on. It dried my skin right out. I usually, look. Your first problem is that you were using Neutrogena. I'm just going to be judgy and say yeah. we got to use some really adult products. <laughs> What are the adult products? Oh, I mean, we're starting out with some advice stuff here, so I'd, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are because Take I, I'm a so Neutrogena stan. <laughs> There's a brand called Goop, G-O-O-P, um, Goop's uh, SPF. That Goop, is... like uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. No, not oh, connected. Okay. okay. Um, Thank God. Okay. But it's really good. Like it's it's a good product. It's quality. I like Non-commodogenic. It. Correct. <laughs> no, I have acne-prone skin, as you can see by this third eye on my forehead. Um, so... Listeners, we do not see it. <laughs> She's a liar, and it is right there. Um, but, but no, no, I mean, like, so I have acne-prone skin, so I have very sensitive skin, and I'm yeah. very particular Me about too. products. But Me too. Listen, if you go to Sephora, you can get samples of everything. 
But you have to like change up your regimen. It's really important, especially now, because once you hit 35, like everything goes downhill. Yes, this is why I, you know, like like I just became vegan and that has like really revamped my entire life. Wow. In a really great way. Yeah. Yeah. Just like to get some energy back because I've been feeling like I can't eat a damn thing without it sitting on the body for the remainder of my life. Do you know what I mean? Like nothing will fall off now. I just had a huge, like, I had a medical scare, like, a month and a half ago. It was, like, it was very dramatic, um, which is what led to my deciding, well, not even oh. really deciding, my doctor saying, your ass needs to be vegan. Oh, um, wow, okay. And so I've now cut all all meat, all dairy. Um, I made the choice to cut alcohol, mm-hmm. at least for a couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say, like, I, and I, everyone in my life, because I've always been a meat eater, um, and... It has really just, it's been incredible. Aside from the fact that I've, in the past, like, month and a half, I've lost 15 pounds. But I have so much more energy. My sleep is deeper. Yeah. Okay, well, I, you, honey, sold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been really great. Just, are you cooking stuff? Or are you, you know what I mean? Are you at that phase? Because I think that's what, I, to me, whenever it's about, like, changing a food, it's like, I'm going to have to become, like, a better cook. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because, like, meat yeah. and pasta and all this stuff is so easy. Right. You know, you put um, it on, you know, when it's done, get out. She's not a cooker, so (laughs) (laughs) not not much of a chef. Um, So still doing a lot of ordering. But, I mean, you know, it's mostly clean, though. Right, right. You know, it's vegetables and brown rice. and Right. And it's easy to do that here, too, I feel like, L.A. Do you know what I mean? Like, every place has got a vegan option. There's just brown rice. If you just go out on the corner, there's just a dude selling brown rice out of a pot. Uh, Right. Exactly. And I'm like, I'm in. That's Los Angeles, guys. (laughs) I see Los Angeles. I'll tell you this. I see Los Angeles like the military. You go do your your four years, your eight years, whatever. You come out with a GI Bill and a pension. You move back to New York. That's what this city is. Yeah. Yep. You mm-hmm. come back a husk of yourself. It's <laughs> like you're serving yeah, you, your time. Yeah, you have you're PTSD from living here. You're serving your time. That's We're not struggling that bad. And I can't believe you say that in front of our company, Stephen. You notice I like that you just sound like a squeeze toy, by the way. When you laugh. <laughs> I'm going to say this. When we're done recording and you leave, Naomi is going to pick me up. (laughs) I hate when you insinuate I am violent with you physically. It's emotional only. (laughs) I'm kidding. I kid. I love. Okay, so honestly, Stephen has already handled Andy's skin and my gut health. Now let him answer some people's questions. Yeah, let's, let's do this because here's the other thing, which is like you are present. You are the artist is present. You are emotionally aware. I will say this. Poses made me cry on more than one occasion. Perfect. And to I know. do that to oh. a repressed waspy yeah. Jew from Pennsylvania it's is huge. a feat, a Herculean feat. <laughs> uh, Can I tell you, and that was not our intention, though. Can I say? Yeah. Like, it re- like it, part of me wants to take that credit mm-hmm. and say, oh, we absolutely, it was by design. You know? <laughs> but it really wasn't. It absolutely was not. We were just trying to tell the most honest story possible. And so we were kind of shocked. We were like, wow, every week people are saying that they're crying a lot. But it's also not bad. Like my, I call them posed tears or separate kinds of tears. Mm. Te- crying does not have to mean like I'm sad and downtrodden. You know what I mean? Correct. Like it's the tears of like, I'm just so happy or just like so hopeful or look at that thing I don't get to see ever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it can be, so it's not, so it's also like, it may not be by design, but it's also like, it's not bad. It's not bad. You have these post tears going. It might also be an idiosyncratic, I mean, I don't want to go too much into it, but like it's my cousin, that's kind of the world he lived in in New York and Mm. uh, he died in the early nineties. And so it's like a weird way of like, when I was a kid, like connecting 
in some yeah. way, so it might be a little idiot. Because he was your cool uncle. He was the one who you would like. C- cool cousin. Cool cousin. Yeah, he was the one. Yeah. Yeah. That, like maybe got me. Yeah. <laughs> in a way, none of my, the rest of my family may have got me. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. there's a little bit. Maybe it's idiosyncratic. I don't know. No. That's maybe other. Journey. Maybe Chuck Lorre watches it and is uh, stone faced. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I picked on him. I liked uh, the Kaminsky method. <laughs> Get me a question. All right. Steven got to go to work. I'm sorry. This is a this is a voicemail. This comes to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the Colin line, which you guys can call in too. Hi, Andy and Naomi. My name is Paige. Um, I've been a long-time listener of yours, and I have a religion question. So, Andy, I am Jewish, and my boyfriend is not Jewish. My parents, for some reason, are very serious about him converting, or they will not be okay with us getting married. We've only been dating for two years. But still, like, we we foresee that in our future. What did your parents think about it? And do you have any advice for me regarding should he do it, should he not? I don't know. I just want him to feel like he can be himself with my family. But also, religion is very important to my parents. I mean, it is for me, too. But it's a very huge thing for my parents. Okay, thank you. Bye. Okay, Paige Ooh. coming in with a religion question. Ooh. What do you think, Stephen? You want to just yeah, first impressions? Well, I mean, we can ask you first. Uh, uh, are you a man of faith? Do you? What do you? How do you feel? Uh, would you uh, want someone to convert if you are, or would you convert for someone to any faith? Uh, you know, as a kid, yeah, I grew up in the church. Um, the capital C church. Uh huh. <laughs> and I don't feel as connected to the church as an adult. Like I still believe in God. Um, you know, like have a mm-hmm. Bible at home, the whole nine yards. Um, so with all of that said, um, organized religion doesn't play a large part of my adult life. Um, with that said, I mean, I think it would just have to be a conversation with my partner. You know, what what was important to us? You know, like, do we plan on raising our children, um, you know, with faith? And if so, you know, like, what is that faith? And, you know, I think if, if I'm in a relationship with someone who's Jewish and we want to raise our children, you know, Jewish, then I think, yeah, I should probably convert. Do you, Would it bother you if the, if the person you were dating... Uh, had no faith would it bother you if like they were an atheist or an agnostic we dove right into the deep end i know here. this is so <laughs> this is so your early morning to me it's so funny though because like obviously we talked about this the whole judaism thing and conversion but my question to Paige would definitely be like do you want him to convert because it sounds like it's like my parents want him to convert and i want my parents to like him and for everyone to be happy but it's like i know for instance with you like we talked about you're like I'm Jewish, but I don't feel like I'm Jewish enough like where I need you to be Jewish. Right? Was like basically what you told me. I'm like, I'm kinda yeah. like what well, is I she trying you know, what is she the question is like, what do you really want to do? And then also, you know, cause also, right, in Judaism, if the mother's Jewish, the kid is Jewish. I mean, is that the look, thing? there's a lot of like weird kind of I we don't have to go into all the like <laughs> No, but I'm like, I'm like is it all like, the okay, nooks and crannies? I'm like, I'm like, well the kid's covered if that's no. what you need. You know the, what I mean? Uh, the English muffin that is Judaism. <laughs> uh but, well I mean here's the weird like 
My parents, were, uh, I think it's different because, I th- I mean, this is a joke, but they like you more than me. Oh, yeah. And you. so I said, I prefaced it, it's a joke. I, I don't really mean it, but also I kind of mean it. <laughs> but they would they would rather me convert to being Naomi. Yeah, convert to being a strong black convert, woman. Yeah, than yeah, you convert to Judaism. <laughs> we should all. We should all. Here's the thing. It's like, are your parents going to, like, disown you right. if your partner doesn't choose to now practice Judaism? Because I think that, to me, is the bigger question. And if they're not, then let them be angry for a little while. (laughs) For a little while. And then they'll get over it because they're going to want you around. So they'll, like, get on board. You know what I mean? Because it's either, like, you guys fight and then you never see each other. Yeah. Or they come to accept it. Because, like, would you really want someone converting to a religion just because you told them to? Right? Like, you want them to have some connection to it and feel like... Well, that's what God wants, right? I mean, that's the thing that I think about this. I'm like, if you're not feeling some kind of authentic feeling of faith in you, then you shouldn't do it. Because it's not like... I mean, I'm I'm anthropomorphizing God in this sense, but it's not like... Like, uh, it's not like, uh, yeah, you know what? I just want people. It's like a sports team. I just want fans. <laughs> I want people to wear like a talus that says God on it. Yeah. Like, rah, rah. Yeah. I also think, though, and this is no no judgment to the caller, but I always find it fascinating when someone enters into a relationship with someone whose experience or background is different from their own. And you know that that's going to be a sticking point, but you still choose to enter that relationship anyway, Mm -hmm. right? So part of me feels like you already know what the answer is. Because if you really were concerned, then you would would have never entered the relationship. Yeah, yeah. Page. So to me, that says more than anything. Paige, you know you got the answer. Stephen done told you, you got the answer in your heart. (laughs) Paige, listen to this, get right with whatever God you believe in. And have a conversation with your lover. <laughs> Next question, Andrew. I say, I say, ignore your parents. Yeah, <laughs> well, that would be. Okay. Yeah, well, that is mine. Okay, this one. Uh, let's let's do some softball question. Let's not <laughs> let's not go straight to this. Is this comes to us from uh, Instagram, anonymous on Instagram? Ooh, what does anonymous say? Hello, my lovelies. I have a question for you guys. I am a member of a stunt performance troupe. We perform at a haunted industry convention in Southern California and have a huge audience at this event. One of our choreographers has chosen a song that is sprinkled with N-bombs. Now, that alone makes this tender, quote unquote, white woman. And she capitalized the H's, Naomi. Yes. After my own heart. uh, Uncomfortable to perform to. But I am concerned about how it might make our audience feel. So my question is, one, am I right to be concerned? Is my butt indeed not loosened? (laughs) Uh, and if i do have a good reason to be concerned how do i talk to the showrunner about it thanks for all that you do wow um Hmm. huh okay so they're they perform they perform at this convention this is obviously a big moment for them a haunted convention haunted i don't even know i just feel there's so much more going on in los angeles that i don't know about i'm like what is this haunted stunt performance what where can i be but i'm intrigued i want to go exactly exactly (laughs) all day passes um but so it's a so but the person in charge has chosen this song this n-word 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 what song is it (laughs) i have no idea and i just can't imagine that was the only song to perform to Here's my thing. (laughs) And this is to like all, I'm just going to racialize it because Anonymous specifically is talking about race here. But I think we could fill in any identity, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's gender or sexual orientation, 
class. If you have the red flag go up and you're uncomfortable and you think, I think this might, like you say to self, self, I think this might be offensive to some people, then it's probably offensive (laughs) and you probably shouldn't do it. Yes. Yes. This is like very, yeah. I mean, it's like baseline, especially I think like when you, as the majority, you know what I mean? If like, because if you'd normally, as we said, like if you don't normally have to navigate the world thinking about that and something seems big enough to you as the person who it wouldn't necessarily immediately affect, oh, well, you can imagine anybody else in that room, you know, is going to be feeling it times 100 if they're part of that group or not part, of, you know, not mm-hmm. part of that group. Right. So so for white people, it has to be a Godzilla-sized red flag <laughs> for it to for someone to be like, oh, shit, right. we should pay attention to this. Right. It's destroying the city. But now, then the second part of that question, though, what should Anonymous say to their boss who's running this? Hey, pal, (laughs) I don't think you're being sensitive enough. It's like, but there is something. It's like there has to be a way to approach. I don't know. I think, no. hopefully, I like to think, no one can argue with your feeling. You know, if you say, hey, this song is, it feels a little... I don't feel comfortable dancing to this. Especially, too, the other thing you can lean on is, like, this is a professional setting. Like, we're presenting this group to people. We might not want to present ourselves this way. Could be a way to at least open the discussion. Because, again, then the boss can bring it to the rest of the group and there can be, like, a show of hands or an actual conversation. Here's the thing. I feel like in instances, like, anonymouses, um, more often than not, like, we don't want to just personalize it. Mm -hmm. So, unless I'm misreading what the person's asking what she's asking it i don't know that you need to come in with like i mean it should be you know thought out and, and, and eloquent but i think it's perfectly valid to just say i'm uncomfortable yeah you know like that in itself should be enough you know i don't know that we need to have like a long conversation about like the rich history of racism in our country <laughs> you know what I mean? it's like i think you just saying i'm uncomfortable yeah i would hope that you're you know supervisor would hear that i can imagine but i can imagine a situation where they're just like oh you're being too sensitive it's fine i heard this song on uh 107.5 yeah uh i is there a possibility of no now i'm i'm usually the direct person and i found that often that that gets me in trouble and being uh, too direct you mean yes yeah yeah. being like hey there's something wrong with us and they're like no you no it's not you're the person that's wrong like in political things like where i'm like no this is a here's a political i'm being very vague but like here's a political thing that we should be all paying attention to like say in some writers rooms and they're (laughs) like no we shouldn't you're just being sensitive or you're not like that's not a real concern um so I wonder if there's a uh, if you can do an end run around this and say like the beat's not right, or if you can like if there's some other choreographic concern you can bring to no. the attention. See, I don't think you should have to go backwards. I no. think it should be a I think it should be about what it's about. And again, she's not going in there saying do this or I walk. It's like a I'm not comfortable with it. I would like us to have a conversation as a team, as a group. Because I feel like a lot of times, again, right, as you said, it's like when you have that red flag, it's like you're not crazy and other people, like, if she opens up that conversation, I guarantee you she ain't going to be the only person who's feeling the way she's saying. You know what I mean? And it's like, I say make it about what it's about. Yeah, I agree. And just, But, like, it doesn't have to be dramatic, you know? Hey, you convinced me. 
<laughs> okay, we are gonna take a quick break and then we will come back and handle some more of your problems. You're welcome. My name is Kimberly Drew. If I've learned anything in my years of studying and uplifting black artists, is that we all have the power to create something beautiful. That's why I'm pleased to introduce you to people who have broken down boundaries in fencing and helped to create the first ever smart store. They're a big deal. And it's time we give them our attention. Listen to Your Attention, Please, a Hulu podcast with iHeartRadio on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's inspired by Your Attention, Please, now streaming on Hulu. Watch for a fresh point of view on Black history. And we're back, Naomi. You always make me chuckle. Uh, I try to keep it fresh for you. You know what I'm saying? And for Stephen, I just want Stephen to feel good. He done woke up this morning having himself a room temperature water. <laughs> I just want him to feel good. All right. Let's do this voicemail. Hey, guys. Uh, my name is Aries. Uh, I have a question or some advice, friendship advice, or ex-friendship advice. Um, so last year, I went through a lot, lost some family, very bad year. Uh, and I decided that I was going to go get some help for my anxiety and depression. Uh, I haven't had friends who were also seeing therapists, but my best friend of 16 years, like my brother, he was also seeing a therapist. So I thought, I'm having trouble taking that step to find someone. Let me ask my best friend if I can speak to his person or maybe whatever group she belongs to. So I reach out to him and ask him for it, and he always says no that he didn't want to give me the name of his doctor because he felt that these were personal relationships and I should find my own. So that hurt a lot. Um, but that, with some other things that were going on in the friendship, kind of just uh, brought me to a place where I realized that he and I were no longer the brothers that we were. So my question to you, um, basically, was was it right for us to end our friendship. Um, I mean, there was no beef. There was no argument. It was basically all through text. And uh, we just stopped texting each other. So now it's almost been a year. Um, mm -hmm. I don't miss him. Still kind of hurt that out of everyone in my life, he was the only one who just outright said, no, I am not going to help you seek help. Find it yourself. Um, I have found it, and I am doing better. Um, so my question to you is basically, um, was that a right reason to end a friendship? So anyway, that's my question, and I uh, hope this wasn't too long. Thank you. Wow, Aries, uh, that sucks. I don't like. I don't like that his friend <laughs> responded that way. <laughs> it sounds also like it might have been the straw that broke the camel's back, the proverbial straw, right? The proverbial camel. Yeah, yeah, it sounds complicated. Right. He also said to you, he's like, there were some other things, and then just kind of glossed yeah. over those other things. I'm curious what the other things are. I know, but it's also like it feels like I don't know. There are a couple things, and it's interesting, right? Anytime someone like asks you a question, I feel this way. Obviously, they're calling into us, but even just like when you talk to your friends, right? We all kind of have our answer going in anyway, and so even just like the things he said, where he was, like, he's like, well, I don't miss him, and I'm like. Well, that's your answer. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. part of your answer. Like, was it wrong to end the friendship? Well, well that's Jean-Paul Sartre's uh, opinion on advice. He says you pick the person you're asking for advice knowing that what their answer is going to be already. Mm. And so you pick them think, yeah. to back up what you want to hear. Yeah. Interesting. But considering we're strangers, these people are really taking a gamble. 
with us because we'll literally come in here and be like, you're trash. But like, you never know. But they don't know what Steven's going to say. They don't know who necessarily who the guest is. So That's true. For you, Steven. No. <laughs> Aries, you are not trash. You are you are rebuilding. And we're very proud. Of, I mean, I just think that, you know, if you don't feel like, you know, you miss this person, it feels like almost, it feels like what's tugging at you or nagging at you is maybe a lack of closure, which I know is so wonky and it's like you don't get it from other people, but it does seem like if you're friends with somebody for years and then it's just a series of text messages is how you decide to not be friends. It doesn't feel like, that's not direct. I mean, I know we all text and we have our conversations via text, but to dissolve such a long-standing relationship in that way doesn't feel satisfactory, I think. Yeah, you know, the thing that came to mind as I was listening to Aries speak is I recently read something and I'm blanking on exactly what it was so I apologize um but it's all about empathy and it redefined empathy for me Mm -hmm. um and the notion that empathy really is about putting yourself in someone else's shoes which obviously is very different and distinct from sympathy um and so I think the first thing I thought was in that moment it would be really important for the both of you to institute some empathy for the other person so all that to say we don't know what your friend was going through um and maybe there's a specific reason i mean you know him better than we do but maybe there was a reason maybe he was struggling with something in the moment and that's why he didn't have the capacity to say yes i can help you here's my therapist Mm -hmm. and that it's less about him wanting to share in air quotes his therapist with you and had more so to do with that he just wasn't in a place where he could give of -hmm. himself to aid another person, anyone, and that that has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Um, Could be wrong, but... I mean, that was a much better way to look at it. Do you know what I mean? Like, to start with, like, it definitely takes the hate out of your heart (laughs) if you go from a place of empathy, which is, like, again, to be free. Yeah. It's tough. (laughs) Empathy's really tough. Because my first... I know sometimes, Naomi, with with, uh, our relationship, my first, like... I won't realize what you're going through until after I've already felt my own feeling. And then I have to sit there and think and be like, oh, Naomi, like, didn't sleep for, like, 10 years. And she (laughs) – or she has, like, the stress of a deadline or something like that or whatever. And then I have to, like – but I've already felt like, why she just – she wouldn't let me get mozzarella sticks or whatever. Okay, that is a terrible example. It was a terrible example. Because I will let you eat whatever you want and probably enable you. (laughs) Yes. Actually, we are very – We are huge food enablers with each other. But Uh, I will say I have – one of my best friends and I, we had a falling out. This was probably like a year and a half ago or so, two years mm-hmm. ago. And we didn't speak for a little over a year. This is very similar. Yeah. Um, you know, different situation, obviously, surrounding why we stopped speaking. But when we finally reconnected, what we realized in our conversa- our first conversation after having not spoken for over a year was that we both were in crisis at the time. Right? Mm. And so what sparked us not talking was something that now in retrospect is really insignificant and if either one of us had just picked up the phone yeah because obviously our pride was getting in the way and i was like i refuse to call her she was (laughs) like i'm not gonna call his ass and if we had just called one another we would have known like oh you were really going through it at the time right and so it, it was ridiculous but a year and a half later we like we're having this conversation and i'm like i'm so sorry that i wasn't there to support you Mm -hmm. when you were going through your issue 
you know, and that energy yeah. came back. But the reality is, again, instituting that empathy, even if we had spoken at that time, both of us were in crisis, we wouldn't have had the capacity right. to really lift each other up in the way mm. that we needed. Right. right, right. We would have just been two people in crisis together. Right, you know? right. I mean, well, and this is what, the, my thought too, is also like Aries, you know, as you said, like you've been in therapy now. It's like, br- that's what these conversations are for and kind of figure out, okay, what is the next step? Because there is a reason you decided to call two strangers about this a year out. You're still feeling something that you that you're it's not resolved. And it's like use that. So as you as you're saying, Stephen, like you can you can go to this person and have a conversation. Cause I also think too, it's like whenever you reach out to somebody and you say, Let's have a conversation, or I, I got something to say, it's like, I try to you know, does it need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? Does it need to be said now? You know, and also what kind of response am I looking to get? You know, and I think the best conversations are when you're not looking for a response. You can go in there just open. And kind of take what's going, take whatever's going to come, take however it's going to go down, you know. And so you might need to just kind of talk that through, you know, with the professional that you have found and that is lifting you up. It sounds like Aries needs closure. Mm-hmm. And I just want to add one final button on it, which is I don't think that you're always going to find closure with the specific person that you have the issue with. Yes, it took yes. me a very long time to have yes. that realization that like you absolutely can have closure with your issues. The other person doesn't necessarily have to be involved in that. Yeah. Yep. That is very true. Well, let me ask, we're, we're towards the end, but I want to ask one quick question, which is uh, you're, so I, I've noted before, I mean, Naomi, you're very emotionally aware. You're, Stephen, you're very emotionally aware. Were you guys always like this? Naomi, was that a product of therapy? Like you started therapy sometime in your in college, maybe teens. I don't know. <laughs> High school, bitch. <laughs> I was hurting. There was Annie DeFranco going on. <laughs> like, is this, no, guys, is this a New York thing? <laughs> the therapy or the Annie? <laughs> the, both. <laughs> the emotional awareness. <laughs> I don't know. Did you feel like? Were you always like? Self-aware or in your head? I was hyper-aware. Yes. I still am. That's, I mean, I feel the same way just as my personality, like as yeah. a kid. But Because I, I also think, too, with the hyper-awareness comes the, like, sadness. I'm like, honey, if you're thinking, you're hurting. <laughs> like, yeah, if your no eyes kidding. are open. And I've always been an overthinker. I've always been, like, in my group of friends, they're always like, oh, Stephen and his processing. Because <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm always wanting to process. And I am and I process out loud. So I'm one of those uh-huh. people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot to unpack. Let's unpack it. There's a, Listen, unpacking <laughs> is my favorite word. <laughs> Especially having worked in higher ed. I'm like, let's unpack this. Let's have a teachable moment. <laughs> teachable moment. What are our takeaways? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel like your writer's room is good, though. I feel like it's like actionable items. We're all being seen and heard, mm-hmm. and we know what we're gonna do tomorrow. Correct. Oh, <laughs> that's what happens when you have a real job outside of this. Okay, you learn how to manage and tell people what they want instead of sitting watching web videos till two p.m. and then being like, "What's the story?" Hello. It's like, get me out of here, Naomi. If your eyes are open, tears should be coming out of them. <laughs> all right. Is that a dare or a curse? No, no, no. Before you said you were you were like if you're if you're aware you're hurting, no, whatever know. it is and you said if your eyes are open then there was like a ellipsis after okay. that and then tears and I want flowing. to there's your t-shirt look <laughs> every loves merch if we, loves merch. If we don't come up out of every episode with a t-shirt idea we are not doing our jobs <laughs> where is it <laughs> Stephen thank you so much for sitting and talking to us and for helping. We helped Paige. We helped Aries. We helped Anonymous. Okay, you guys, obviously follow up with me. I want to know how it all worked out, especially 
especially anonymous. I need to know what happened at work with the hip hop crew, but a stunt crew. I, in my head, they're hip hop dancers. Anyway, um, so thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you next week, and you know you need to be watching season two of Pose. You gotta. Twenty Seven Club is a podcast about famous musicians who died prematurely and sometimes mysteriously at the age of twenty-seven. This podcast is hosted by me, Jake Brennan, creator and host of the award-winning music and true crime podcast Disgraceland. Season two of the Twenty Seven Club launches June eighteenth, two thousand twenty, with twelve episodes on the life and death of Jim Morrison of the Doors. The Twenty Seven Club contains adult content and explicit language. You can listen to the Twenty Seven Club on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Katie Lowe's here, actress, mom, and host of the parenting podcast Katie's Crib, a show that helps women navigate the colossal changes that come with motherhood. You'll hear from resilient mamas, knowledgeable experts, and me asking a whole lot of questions. It's real talk that offers real perspective on what it's really like to be a parent. So join me. New episodes publish every other Thursday. Listen to Katie's Crib on the iHeartRadio app or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.